Hey y'all, my name is Allie, and welcome to A Noble Earthquake, a podcast about California history. After an eight-day drive from Boston to the San Francisco Bay Area, I've finally made it to California. Before I get started, I just want to say... If you have been thinking about taking a cross-country road trip, do it. It's 100% worth it, though I don't know if I would start from Boston if I was doing it just for fun. I think I would fly out to Chicago and drive from there. Make sure you hit some national parks along the way, too. We managed to get to the Badlands, uh, Yellowstone, and Grand Tetons along our journey, along with quite a few national forests that we just ended up driving through. And the nice thing about national forests is they have free bathrooms, so you can stop in them and you don't have to worry. You're good. Also, campgrounds if you want to go camping, and it's like $10 to camp. And you're in the middle of the beautiful forest. So this is the first official episode of A Noble Earthquake. I'm very excited to finally be living in California, and I'm really looking forward to being able to share all of the neat stories I dig up with you guys. The list has been growing since before we moved, so it's going to be good. As I said, my partner and I drove to California. Credit where credit is due, my partner Brendan did all of the driving because his car is a stick shift and I don't know how to drive it. So big ups to him for tackling a 3,600-mile drive across the country, including all of the bugs that died on our windshield. So the last leg of our drive took us from Salt Lake City across the Great Basin Desert in northern Nevada and through the Sierra Nevadas all along Interstate 80. This route more or less follows the last portion of the California Trail, which was a series of westward overland trails that emigrants from east of the Mississippi followed in the 1840s and 50s to get to California during the gold rush. And as you can imagine, once I figured out we'd be driving this route, I got pretty excited that I'd be able to share the journey, and I thought it would make a great first episode, kind of a how we got here uh, type thing. I live tweeted the drive, uh, so if you're interested in seeing some photos and hearing my, like, spur-of-the-moment thoughts about what was going on, you can check out the podcast Twitter page at Noble Earthquake. So we're just going to dive right in. The California Trail was first established in 1841 by the Bidwell-Bartleson Party and cleared the way for future wagon trains. Eventually, the trail became a series of wagon routes, branching off of each other at different points along the way, but all heading in the same direction, west to California. The journey could take anywhere from three to six months and meant packing every supply you would need for your new life in California, since provisions were non-existent once you arrived. Most emigrants would leave from towns along the Mississippi, including Independence, Missouri of Oregon Trail fame. It was recommended that travelers leave in the spring to allow for enough grass to grow along the trail for your cattle and pack animals to munch on along the way. Nobody wants a skinny cow that meat ain't good. This also ensured you'd have a safe-ish passage through the Sierras. Leaving later in the summer could mean you'd get to the mountain range and be snowed in. I found one account of the journey, a diary written by Herman B. Sharman, who wrote about not only his experiences along the trail, but what his life was like in California after he arrived. And I'm going to link to it on the SoundCloud page so you can read it in full. 
And it was really great to have as a reference, kind of to compare his thoughts to what I was thinking along the way. He describes taking on the trail, this overland journey is one of the most unfortunate undertakings to which man may allow himself to be lured, because he cannot possibly have any conception before starting of this kind of traveling. To be sure, there is a beaten path which you can clearly see before you, but there are no stopping places with even the slightest signs of civilization. I can confirm, even from a car, this trek is desolate and dangerous and exhausting. Because there was, like, a hundred miles between exits. So I'm really glad we didn't get a flat. We started out from Salt Lake City on this last leg of our journey. And if immigrants following the trail came through here, they might have been taking what is known as the Hastings Cutoff. It's different from the main trail, which was still further north in Idaho. The Hastings Cutoff was routed by Lansford Hastings in 1846, who was looking for a faster route to California. This route took travelers along the Great Salt Lake Desert, where the Bonneville Salt Flats are, and then cut south along the Ruby Mountains before rejoining the main trail outside of present-day Elko, Nevada. For the most part, Interstate 80 follows the Hastings Cutoff until it rejoins the main trail. This journey took travelers across the Great Basin Desert in northern Nevada, a series of low-lying valleys and small mountain ranges covered in sagebrush and desert shrubs. There's very little shade along this route. By midday, the temperature outside of the car was in the high 80s. The only saving grace to the California Trail's winding path across the desert was the Humboldt River, a snaking respite in an otherwise parched landscape. The National Park Service has published auto route tours for the entire California Trail, and according to their tour across Nevada, the Humboldt was a loved and hated river, so much so that travelers wrote poems about it. In 1850, a Dr. Horace Belknap wrote, Meanest and muddiest, filthiest, stream most cordially, I hate you. That's uh, it's a one-star review on Yelp right there. The reeds and mud surrounding the banks of the river often trapped livestock who hadn't had much to drink since leaving Salt Lake City. But as awful as the Humboldt was for immigrants, it was also essentially their north star, guiding them westward and allowing them to keep a somewhat steady source of fresh water available across an otherwise barren stretch of desert wasteland. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention some of the illnesses suffered along the California Trail. Charmin mentions in his diary that his party suffered from illnesses common along the journey, such as dysentery, fever, cholera, and scurvy. And if y'all have played Oregon Trail, y'all know you die from dysentery like all the time. Thousands died not only from disease and sickness, but also from accidents along the way. These settlers carried firearms with them not only for hunting but for protection and many of them didn't know what they were doing with them so they could accidentally shoot themselves they could shoot their members of their party they could scare animals there were a lot of accidents that could and would happen along the journey the california trail starts to break off into different routes around mill city nevada a few miles south of winnemucca the Nobles and Applegate trails continue immediately west and eventually branch off to form the Lassen Trail and a southern route to Oregon. From the information I can gather in Sharman's diary, his party took either the Lassen or the Nobles Trail because they eventually end up at Lassen's Ranch uh, before continuing south to Sacramento. 
The other trail, the one that Interstate 80 now follows, continues to follow the Humboldt River in a southwest direction towards present-day Lovelock, Nevada. And it's here that emigrants would encounter the Humboldt Sink and the dreaded 40-mile desert. I'm a geology geek. Honestly, sometimes I think I missed my calling by delaying taking a geology class until senior year of college. Uh, So learning about the Humboldt Sink was pretty fascinating for me. Much of the western portion of the Great Basin Desert was once a giant prehistoric lake, which dried up due to climate change at the end of the Pleistocene era, and this left a dry lake bed behind, and the Humboldt Sink is one of many dry lake beds in the area. The Humboldt River ends in this sink instead of draining into the ocean. So imagine, if you will, put on your personal VR glasses and come with me into this journey. Imagine getting this far along the trail, having this, albeit kind of gross and muddy, but still a source of water with you most of the time, guiding you west and quenching your thirst, keeping your animals also happy and healthy, when suddenly you arrive at a barren, alkaline patch of desert and the river just vanishes. What you see before you is desert and mountains in the distance, the same view you've been seeing since you left Salt Lake City. Only this time, there's no more river. This is what settlers who chose to follow the Humboldt would eventually come across. And it was the last place they could refill their water supplies before they marched across the 40-mile desert. Hot, dry, and cruel, with highly alkaline hot springs to tempt your thirst and no shade. Temperatures in this part of the desert reached 100 degrees. It was in the 90s when we drove across. So many emigrants chose to attempt the crossing at night when it was cooler. At the I-80 rest area off of exit 83, there's a historical marker that notes that almost a thousand unmarked graves can be found throughout the 40-mile desert. I-80 follows the Truckee route, which splits off from the Carson route about five miles into the 40-mile desert. After crossing this stretch of wasteland, Emigrants would come across the Truckee Meadows and the Truckee River, and they would be able to see the Sierra Nevadas from there. They'd essentially be in the foothills. And Charmin wrote about his party's reaction to first seeing the Sierras. In the distance, we saw an extended mountain chain and huge dark pine forests, which stretched from south to north as far as the eye could see. Our hearts beat for joy at the thought that the rich and longed-for land lay just beyond these mountains. It's probably safe to say that his reaction is similar to any wagon train at the time. I know that even my reaction was like, oh, thank God, finally, we've made it this far. And we've only been in a car for nine days. Like, these people have been in a wagon train for three to six months. So the highway sticks pretty close to the river, which has been built around and flattened out a little bit by modern industry. There's like dams and a power plant, and lots of things that now occupy the riverbanks. But in the 1840s and 50s, the route along the river would be a narrow, rocky canyon, and that required that settlers had to cross the river a total of 27 times in order to safely follow this route. And once the 27th crossing was made, it was time to start heading up and over the Sierras, their last hurdle before making it to California. While driving through the Sierras, which are beautiful, I highly recommend you drive through them. You can go to Lake Tahoe. You can go to Stanislaus National Forest. Just go. It's beautiful. 
so while driving through the Sierras, we eventually cut through Donner Pass, named after the infamous Donner Party. They had chosen to take the relatively new Hastings cutoff in an attempt to get to California faster, but ended up being delayed leaving Utah and further along in their journey. When they reached the Sierras in October, winter had decided to show up early and the party was socked into the mountains by snow. I think most people know about the Donner Party because of the stories of cannibalism associated with them. And I personally remember having to do a class presentation about them in eighth grade U.S. history when we were going over Manifest Destiny and Westward Expansion. I'm pretty sure my friend and I recorded a sound clip to use in the presentation where we announced Donner Party of 85. It's probably in bad taste now, but as eighth graders, we thought it was pretty funny. And speaking of the Donner Party, I just learned that there's a new book out by author Michael Wallace called The Best Land Under Heaven, The Donner Party in the Age of Manifest Destiny. And the book is supposed to talk about the Donner Party uh, outside of the the idea that cannibalism kind of is all anybody talks about with them, um, talking about all the other things that happened to the party along the way and using them as a better example of... Uh, westward expansion. So I'm definitely probably going to pick it up because it sounds really interesting. Many immigrants along the California Trail described the trail itself as seeing the elephant, meaning it was impossible to describe the experience to others. You simply had to experience it for yourself. Driving through the deserts of Utah and Nevada and then up through the Sierras, I can definitely understand how one would not be able to describe the journey. Luckily, I have a camera phone, so I can take pictures and just send it to people. But even now, describing it to people, I can say it's beautiful, I can say it's gorgeous, I can say it looks exhausting to hike, but you never know until you try it. The landscapes alone are indescribable. And from reading Charmin's diary, and from what I remember from U.S. history class, Life in California was not the land of milk and honey it was described as. Charmin's wife and younger daughter both died soon after arriving at Lassen Ranch, and the price of provisions was exorbitantly high. Eventually, about a year after he arrived in California, Charmin chose to take his two sons back to the East Coast via a steamship and described California as a much-praised and yet miserable country, and says that his curiosity has been satisfied and my gold fever has disappeared. He ends his diary by stating, I will be very glad to give my advice or any information about the trip to those of my fellow citizens who are attacked by the gold fever, which can only be cured by their own experiences. But the best advice I can give to anyone is this, tarry at home and honestly earn thy daily bread. I'm assuming he's referring to... If you strike gold, you strike it rich, and then you don't have to work anymore, which seems to be what we want to do even now. So take his advice. Over 250,000 immigrants followed the California Trail West, hoping to find gold and a new life in the Golden State. We like to romanticize westward expansion and manifest destiny as part of our collective American nostalgia, But I think it's important to keep in mind that this journey was life-changing for everyone who dared to brave it, for better or for worse. Thousands died along this trail. But it also meant that we discovered all of these beautiful places that we now get to visit, like Yosemite 
and all of the national forests in the area. So, better or worse. So that's going to do it for this episode of A Noble Earthquake. As I said, I've got a pretty solid list of ideas to tackle over the coming months, so please stay tuned for those. If you'd like to suggest an episode or give feedback, you can get in touch via Twitter at Noble Earthquake or by emailing anobleearthquake at gmail.com. I'd like to thank Utopia Ohio for letting me use their song Coyote California as the intro and outro of the podcast. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave me a review if you'd like.